1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18, Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. As we have read Samuel together, I think that we have discovered that Eli the high priest has many faults. He's very far from perfect. However, we do believe he is a true believer. And as all true believers, he has some good thing in him. I think that the fact that he is a believer is seen here in this response, in this word that he speaks in verse 18, our text. It is the Lord. It's also seen in the fact that God is speaking to him. I mean, God has sent a man of God to him in chapter 2. He's given a vision to Samuel, an oracle, and that is to be brought to him as well. God is communicating to Eli. God is bringing his word to him. And even though the messages are difficult for any right-thinking man to receive, nevertheless, God is speaking to him. God has a word to him. He doesn't speak to Hophni and Phinehas. He's not speaking to anybody else. But he has a word to Eli. Now, it's a hard word. The man of God said, I'll cut off thine arm, the arm of thy father's house. There shall not be an old man in thine house. You'll see an enemy in my tabernacle, in my habitation. The enemy will invade. You'll see this sign, Hophni and Phinehas, in one day the both of them shall die. So it's a, a pretty frightening message. And whenever Samuel was given the oracle to bring to him, it was of the same kind of theme. And Samuel was afraid to tell him. So gentle was he and so compassionate for the old man. Eli detected Samuel's hesitation and he insisted that Samuel tell him all that God said. What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? Verse 17. I pray thee hide it not from me. God do so to thee and more also if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. So Samuel told him every whit and he had nothing back. So the young prophet He's learning early. Eli's teaching him early. You have to declare the whole counsel of God. Even when it's hard. You have to tell me everyone. You have to hold nothing back of all that God says to you. Paul said, woe is me. If I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the old mentor is giving Samuel a lesson here. That when God gives you his oracle and his counsel. You have to hold nothing back. You have to speak it all. You have to tell it all. And Eli says that even though he is suspicious that it's a word for him and it's going to be a difficult word. It's going to be a similar kind of word as the unnamed man of God brought to him. And that is commendable of Eli. And that's something else that shows that there's some good thing in him. He's a true believer. Because he wants to hear God's word. No matter how hard it is. 
Tell me it all. Hold nothing back of what God has told you. Tell me everything. He's not one of these ones who picks and chooses and closes his ears to some things and opens them to others. He's not one of these ones who goes through sermon audio and picks and chooses the nice things that he wants to listen to. No, he wanted to hear the word that God had for him in that place through Samuel. And that's the way it should be. We should go to our church, we should go to our place, and we should be prepared to hear what God has for us in that place where he has called us to. Not to pick and choose what we hear, but to hear all that God is leading and guiding us to hear through the preaching of the word. You have to take what is given to you, people of God, in the ministry. And you don't sit at home picking and choosing what you want to hear. And so you come to the meetings trusting that God has a word for you through the ministry. So Eli then is to be commended on that point as well. Some good things here in him, truly. What did he teach Samuel to pray Whenever he eventually realized God was calling Samuel, what did he teach Samuel to pray? Lord, speak for thy servant here. There's some good thing in him. That's a good prayer to teach the young fella. And he who taught that prayer to the young fella prays that prayer himself. Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. Tell me everything, Samuel. I want to hear. I told you to hear God and to speak and you were going to do. I didn't tell you that and not do that myself. So clearly Eli not only taught that prayer, he evidently practiced it himself. However, while we commend him on these points, we even more have to commend him on this marvelous response to the word. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Because the word was terrible news to Eli, as he suspected. And he gives this humble, submissive response. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. What has Samuel said? I'm going to bring all things on to Eli and his house that I said unto him. I'm going to judge his house forever. The iniquity of his house is not going to be purged for by sacrifice and our offering forever. That's pretty strong stuff. And yet Eli gives this, this response. Now there are those who may assert that this is just a careless, carefree attitude. That he doesn't really feel that concerned about it or that interested in it. That he just kind of shrugs his shoulders and just kind of lightly says it's the Lord. I think they're wrong, however. To say that Eli is shrugging his shoulders and bringing God's name in here would be to make Eli nearly a blasphemer. It would be to make him heartless, to make him hard and cold and careless. And I don't think Eli is that at all. To say this is just a cold shrug of his shoulders 
is to say he takes God's name in vain and Eli's not such a man. This is not a mocking heart. This is a meek heart. This is not a hard heart. It's a humble one. This is not an unconcerned heart. But rather it is an uncomplaining one. He is manifesting here a gracious disposition. It reminds me of Job, who was struck with the most heart-wrenching trials and troubles. As you know, he got terrible news. News of the loss of his herds and flocks. News of the loss of his children. Broke his heart. And what did he say? Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord give. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see how he's always using the Lord's name there? Eli's the same. It is, it is Jehovah. It's the Lord. Remember the psalmist? I was dumb. I opened not my mouth. I didn't complain. I didn't say anything. Thou did it. Thou did it, Lord. You remember Hezekiah said to Isaiah whenever he was given the prophecy of Babylon coming and what would befall the place. Hezekiah said, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. It's the word of the Lord and it's good. Indeed, it reminds us of Gethsemane, doesn't it, somewhat? Because whenever the Lord Jesus Christ with all the burden of the cup He said, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. So I'm taking this as a gracious and a, a meek disposition in this man, whereby he speaks these words in the face of terrible dark providences, in the face of approaching trials and afflictions, in the face of the loss of his own two sons, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth good unto him. So the response is a gracious and meek response. One of submission to God. Now the Hebrew has five words for this phrase. It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. It's only five words in the Hebrew. Hebrew language is like that. It's a much smaller Bible because it doesn't need the same number of words. English needs more to expand and to open up the translation. But in the Hebrew, there are only five words here. And the first word is Jehovah. The first word that comes into his mind. Jehovah. The second word Jehovah it is. Jehovah it is. It's the Lord. That's the first thing. The the last word is the verb. Let him do. Let him do. And then before that is the word eyes. What seemeth in his eyes. According to his eyes. Let him do. What he sees. What was before his eyes? Let him do. 
and he puts the word good in the middle, right in the center, right in the heart. This is why I know this isn't mocking, this isn't carelessness. These words are carefully arranged to give God the glory, to exalt his goodness, even in the midst of the trial. Jehovah it is. Good in his eyes. Let him do. He's good. Right in the heart. The middle word. This is not sarcasm. No. This is submission. And trust in the goodness of Almighty God. In his sovereign righteousness. In the midst of it all. So this is not a despicable attitude. And so he's implying the Lord does good. I'm the sinner. I'm the transgressor. Not the Lord. Not the Lord. That's a man of God. Manifesting a believing, trusting, submissive spirit and a contrite one before the Lord. Now you, you know where we're going here, congregation. We all get bad news. We all have our disappointments. We all have our afflictions and trials. We all suffer loss. Sometimes death comes and takes loved ones away from us. Perhaps we get poor health. Perhaps we lose strength of body. Perhaps we become handicapped. Perhaps we lose our sight. Eli has already been there. The loss of sight. The loss of health and strength. Are thousands of other things. Which I couldn't even begin to list. And if I tried to list. I would still miss thousands more. Because our afflictions. Like the hairs upon our head. Are innumerable. We can't even begin to number them. Or describe them. But the Christian heart has to learn, whatever the trial is, has to learn to say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. So I want to take these words, especially it is the Lord, in the context of this situation that Eli finds himself in, and in the context of those five words that he utters, and show you how we might learn to use them ourselves. Now Eli is doing two things here when he says it is the Lord. First he's acknowledging it's God's word. He is saying it's the Lord's word. He realizes that the Lord has given this vision to Samuel. And Samuel has revealed it to him. It's the Lord. He's revealed it. It's true. We have to accept it. So he is persuaded. It is the word of God. He doesn't question it. He doesn't say that can't be true. The Lord would never do that. The Lord would never act like that. The Lord would never behave like that. That cannot be true. He never says that. He says it is the Lord. It's his word. This is what God is doing. And his word is revealing what he's doing. So he doesn't say that's a false message. No, he accepts the word. Eli knows it will be fulfilled. 
He refuses to deny God has spoken. It is the Lord. We have to believe the Bible congregation. And we have to say every time we read it and every time we hear it, we have to say it is the Lord. It's, it's the Lord. It's his word. When there are things we can't understand, whenever there are things that men are contradicting, whenever there are things that are being attacked by the contrary philosophies of men, we have to stand at the oracle and we have to say, it is the Lord. It's his word. We have to do that. And God doesn't let any of his words fall to the ground. Eli knows that much. He knows that God has given his revelation unto this young fella. And he doesn't question it. That's for sure. But secondly, and more importantly, mainly what he is saying is, God is sovereign. God is absolute ruler. So he is acknowledging here the sovereignty of God. It is the Lord. That is to say, he is Lord. He is over all. He is sovereign. He is the most high. He doesn't say it's some other cause. He doesn't say it's accident. It's the devil. He recognizes first cause. Now, of course, we have to recognize a very delicate, particular situation Eli is in here because the events haven't taken place. He's been told of the future events before they happen. And that's a unique situation of seeing the events beforehand through the word of God. He sees the death of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, before the event. It's as if it's happened because God has said it's going to happen. So he knows it's as good as happened. It is the Lord. He sees his own death too and the calamity on the nation and the judgment upon his own house. The poor estate into which his own descendants will fall into. He sees it all because it's all predicted. So to him it's as good as happened. Now we don't have that opportunity of seeing the future, seeing the events. And thank God we don't. It's a sore burden. It's a sore trial for this man to be told these things. What's going to befall him? We don't have that position, thankfully. We are after the event. Whenever we have to say it is the Lord. And we're not to say it is the devil. Or it's accident. Or it's this and it's that. Or it's a mistake. Or it's the wickedness of men. Or it's the Philistines. It is the Lord. It's first causes. It's sovereign cause. It's the highest cause. It's the one who's on the throne over all. Nothing taking place outside his will and control. It is the Lord. That's what we have to say. He has done what is good. In his own eyes. The devil's not in control. Men are not in control. The nasty Philistines are not in control. No, it's the Lord. He's the highest. He's at the top. None greater than him. As I said, Eli received two oracles. The one from the unnamed man of God at the end of chapter 2 that we looked at. And this one of Samuel. But in actual fact, he received three. Hannah's prayer. He heard Hannah's prayer. 
Hannah opened her mouth. It wasn't like that prayer that she, he thought she was drunk. No, he heard the second prayer. In fact, I believe it was written down and put in the tabernacle. It was recorded. It was imprinted because it was unique. He had Hannah's psalm to prepare him. He had Hannah's psalm to mould him. He had Hannah's psalm to prepare him for the hard times and for the bad news and for the difficult days. And it was Hannah's psalm primarily that taught him to say, it is the Lord, it's Jehovah. Because she spoke about Jehovah. She spoke about this business of the sovereignty of God. He turned that psalm over and over and over and over in his mind. It was written down, I believe. He has it before him. It's the first psalm. And he's reading it. He's thinking upon it. And Samuel has included it in the prophecy here. And what did Hannah say? There's none as holy as Jehovah. None. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. He's holy. He does according to his holiness. He does according to his righteousness and justice. His providential works are hard to understand. But whatever he works, he does in his holiness. His works are like himself, holy works, righteous works, just works. Eli will know that in in taking my sons, God is holy. In cutting off my arm, God is holy. There's none as holy as God. He's righteous. He's a judge of all the earth that does right. And there's none beside him. He rules alone. He's sovereign. None beside him. He's not up there having difficulty with somebody else. In this business of ruling the world. No, the devil's not beside him. There's none beside him. He rules alone. It's the Lord. Eli has discovered this. He's a rock. The power is his. He's high and holy. And he must be submitted to. And I can't resist his will. It's folly to resist his will. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. I I dare not complain against his will. He has the right. He has the authority. Didn't we look at those words in verse 8 of chapter 2? The pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he has set the world upon. This is why God can do what he likes what he pleases because he's made the world he upholds the world he sustains the world it's his stage that he has erected for him to do all his works upon all authority is his all power is his all sovereignty is his he holds everything up and there's nothing takes place on that stage of the world the grand stage of the world on the pillars that's what that's what Hannah is thinking about He's holding the ground stage up and everything that's taking place on it is under his sovereignty. I think he's learned this from Hannah. And then he's the Lord, he's a God of knowledge, Hannah said. God knows, he knows best, he knows all things. I can't understand his ways, I can't explain his ways, but it's the Lord, he's a God of knowledge. He knows best, he knows his wisdom as well as holiness and justice. He is understanding. He knows what the best plan is. He knows what the best purpose is. It is the Lord. 
Remember Hannah said, don't speak so proudly. Don't speak arrogantly. It's as if Eli hears that. He doesn't speak proudly. He doesn't speak arrogantly. He doesn't complain. He puts his hands on his mouth as humble man and says, it's just the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. That's humility. That's Christ-like meekness. It's the Lord. And and who am I? I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. Who am I to find fault? God weighs my actions. Remember Hannah said, by him actions are weighed. I don't weigh his actions. He weighs my actions. I can't weigh his actions. His actions are holy. I can be sure of that much. But my actions are very far from holy. I'm a sinner. My actions are sinful. Who am I to complain against God? Who am I to tell God that's wrong? That's faulty behaviour? That's not what you should be doing. Who am I to tell God that I'm a sinner? My actions are weighed, and that should humble us. What have I to say? But Lord, have mercy on me. What am I to say? But Lord, forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. And at last, bring me to glory through your marvelous grace. That's all we have to say. Thou hast forgiven my sins freely. You're the Lord. What have I to say? You have given me to your son. What am I to complain about? When you've given me Christ, your son, when you've given me the gospel, though you chasten my sins in the earth and in time, what am I to complain? Because you've given me your everlasting salvation and you'll bring me into the heavenly glory through your Christ. Who am I to complain? It is the Lord who sent his son. It is the Lord who who spared not his own son. Who am I to complain? It is the Lord who offered up his own son freely for us. Who gave his own son a sacrifice for sin. Who am I to complain? That he should take Hophni and Phinehas. What did Hannah say there in 2 verse 6? The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. It's the Lord that does it. He's just saying everything that Hannah has prayed. He's just saying, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And then he could say, I mean, what age is he? He's 90, isn't he? It's the Lord's given me a long life. I haven't had much cause to complain hitherto. I've had a pretty, pretty pain-free body for 90 years. I've been able to see well for 70 or 80 years. But now that he takes my sight away, who am I to complain? I've so much to thank him for. The most part of my life has been filled with goodness and sweetness. And now that the latter part of it should be filled with bitterness and difficulty, who am I to complain? It is the Lord. And so we should never forget the years of health and strength that we've had too, brethren and sisters, whenever we begin to have poor health. We should never forget that every year has been crowned with his goodness, if perhaps the last couple aren't. We should never forget how God has been good to us the most part of our lives. 
so that when it begins to really get hot under the collar, let, let us have the, the dignity to say, it is the Lord. He's good. What in his eyes, let him do. Do you remember how Job said, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? You know, it's not all good. We have to receive evil too, brethren and sisters. And the Lord that give the good and allow the evil, it's the same sovereign God. Remember how the apostle says about chastisement? You're talking about the fathers. It's very interesting. They for a few days chastened us. Just a few days. I mean, your dad didn't run around every hour of the day beating you and you know, smacking you and being on top of you and shouting at you. Well, that would be abuse if that was happening. No, no, just for a few days, whenever you maybe got a good hiding, and then that was you sorted out for a few years. A few days is all it took. And the Lord is like that. You know, he's given us 70 years, and maybe we've got a, a few days of hard chastening. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. He, he doesn't do it for his own pleasure, but he does it for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Remember the story of the martyr Polycarp? Eighty-six years have I served him. He has done me no wrong. Shall I blaspheme him now, now that I'm going to be fed to the lions, put to the flame? Eli could say something like that. I've had it so good. God has been so good. He's been so gracious. Now that I face pain and death, shall I blaspheme him? Shall I turn against him? No, it is the Lord. Now remember that word in the middle, good. He only does good in his eyes. The Lord is good, even in judgment. Recall the first use of the word good. Where do you read it all the time? It's in Genesis, isn't it? Creation. Everything he made was good. The light was good. The seas and the dry land, they were good. Then whenever creation was all finished, it was all very good. Good in creation. That's the same in providence. Good. That's the same in redemption. Good. He only ever does good. And so this is Eli's response. Now, this is all that's revealed of Eli's response. But I do believe it wasn't his only response. God gave him time, you see, to prepare for death. To prepare his own soul. To seek God's mercy. He's near 90. I mean, when you get near 90, brother and sisters, your life's near over. Really. Uh, For most of us, it'll be over a bit before that. It's practically over. But God graciously came to him in his old age. To speak to him. Well, you say it's very hard what God told him. Yes, it was. But it's to map him. It's to make him ready to meet the Lord. It's to make him seek mercy. It's to make him feel the sinner that he is. Not to die proud and self-righteous and arrogant. The Lord is melting him. 
Yes, he, he didn't rule his family right. Yeah, he, he had his failures and mistakes. Brethren and sisters, we all do. At the end of the day, we're all going to have to confess our sins and our failures and our shortcomings. And that man is blessed who God comes to near the end and deals with him in a way of graciously melting him so that he is utterly and totally cast on the free mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That's the way you want to die. Not self-righteous. Not something I did 60 years ago when I got saved. No. Trusting with all your heart in the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. As a melted soul. So the Lord's melting he lay before he dies. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't melt Hophni and Phineas. I tell you. He doesn't melt them one bit. But he melts this old man. Eli doesn't have terror. For he has saving faith. He has a saviour. He has a redeemer. He's maybe far away from the Lord. But the Lord is restoring him. The Lord is bringing him back. The Lord is getting him to confess his follies. And his failures as a high priest. His follies and failures as a father. His follies and failures as a judge in Israel. And we'll all have to do the same on our deathbed, brethren and sisters. We'll have to confess our sins, our failures as fathers and mothers. As Christian workers and ministers and elders and deacons, we'll all have to confess our failures before we go into eternity. And God is working in Eli. So what took place in the closet, we don't know. But we are sure that the fact that God sent him these words was with the purpose of grace to deal with him, to melt him, and to prepare him for death. So God's word is melting him before he dies, so that he will confess his sins and trust in the free mercy of God and his Messiah. And when we come to die, pleading nothing but the blood of Christ and the Saviour's merit, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Who in the gospel receives us graciously. And while on earth here. He must hasten our sins. He must hasten our sins on earth. But in the world to come. He receives us unto eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Saved by grace alone. Through mercy alone, by Christ alone, in our humble trust in him. And so I believe Eli died well when he fell off that chair. How do I know that? Well, he, he, heard, he, heard, the, he heard the the death of his of sons, but when he heard the glory departed, that knocked him off his chair. He had a heart for God. He had a love for the Lord. He had a love for the things of God. He had a love for the word of God. Tell me it all. He felt the melting power of the word. And even when the word came in all its scorching judgment. He could still say. 
that is the Lord. Brethren and sisters, let us not be proud and arrogant and complaining. But let us be humble and contrite. And just asking God for his mercy on our poor sinful souls. Let us pray.